0: Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. In our last study, we saw how in his last attempt to draw the world away from the true God, the Antichrist will so win over the people of earth that he'll actually convince them to go to war against Jesus upon his return. Incredible, but true. And we'll pick up there today as Pastor Phil continues to share from Revelation 13.
1: Well, again, verse 2. John sees this, this beast with, um, uh, you know, like a leopard and bear and, and lion. At the end of verse 2, it says, The dragon gave him, and that him is the Antichrist now, his power, his throne, and greater authority. Look, this Antichrist, this guy is going to be Satan's masterpiece. It's going to be Satan's masterpiece. Satan empowers him which means he's going to have supernatural charisma, genius, and oratorical abilities. Can you imagine this? He's going to be good-looking, too, I'm convinced. He's going to be very good-looking, very charismatic. He's going to be brilliant beyond anything that, you know, humanly speaking, is possible. And he's going to have great oratorical abilities. Well, verse 3, John says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. Now, here's where we get into a little bit of controversy, because who are we talking about? Are we talking about the beast, the kingdom, or the beast, the man? This is where commentators now, they've debated just exactly what this means. Some believe that we're talking about empires. And and one of the heads, speaking of one of the empires, the Roman Empire, which died, you know, many years ago, is going to be resurrected. The beast, Roman Empire, dead, comes back to life, and it's going to cause the entire world to marvel and follow You know this final empire. Uh, that could be, but I don't think that's what's really going on here. We know that there's going to be some kind of a revival of the old Roman Empire, that's true. But I don't believe that the head is speaking of the empire because in other places in chapter 13, it talks about the Antichrist. Uh, looking like he was killed and then raised again to life. So I think we're talking about the leader here, not the kingdom at this point, because even the the wording, uh, his deadly wound, the personal pronouns indicate uh, we're talking about a person here. Many commentators believe uh, that uh, somebody is going to try to assassinate the Antichrist at one point, that somebody's going to try to assassinate him. Now, I personally don't believe he's going to really be dead because I don't believe that Satan has the power to raise the dead. However, it isn't going to matter because Satan will present such a convincing counterfeit death and resurrection that the whole world is going to believe it was genuine. And in fact, it's going to be such a powerful testimony of this man's uniqueness and godlike attributes and power that this event. Becomes what defines him. That this man is so powerful and is a God in the sense that he seems to have power over life and death. He can't be killed. Because if he is killed, he just regenerates himself. And this is going to cause the world to so marvel that they're going to... This I don't know how popular he was before this. But now he reaches, again, godlike status, which he reinforces by going around constantly calling himself God. I mean, it's such a powerful event, though. It's not something that just happens. It's something that becomes the defining event that the people begin to identify this guy with. And three times it's mentioned in this chapter. And it says in verse 13, the whole world marveled and followed the beast. Again, this is the thing that causes the entire world, uh, the world of unbelievers, I should say, to be astonished and amazed. I mean, think about it. This guy seems to have the power over death. Only God has the power over death. Therefore, this guy must be a god. And notice how quickly amazement turns to worship in verse 4. So they worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast. Look, folks, I'm not trying to say the people of this world at that time are going to know they're worshipping Satan. We know it's going to be Satan. That doesn't mean, though, that even though it's the dragon, it's Satan, that he isn't somehow disguising himself as an angel of light still. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15? It's no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. We have to understand, this is going to be a time of great deception. I'm not convinced personally, although I could be wrong, that people really understand they're worshiping the devil. They could be at that. I mean, maybe they will understand that. It's just that by that time, the devil is going to have so presented himself as an angel of light. You know, the, the one who is, has got the answers. The one if you follow, you will be, you know, blessed and so on. I mean, at this point in human history, God Almighty and his son Jesus Christ are going to be, and all those who follow Jesus are going to be looked upon as the losers, the troublemakers, those that are standing in the way of really the world experiencing true peace and prosperity. And the dragon and the Antichrist, they are going to be worshipped as God and the Son of God at that time. Well, they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who is able to make war with him? I believe that this coincides with Revelation 11, verse 7. In Revelation 11, verse 7, it says, when they finish their testimony, who are we talking about? The two witnesses, right? And You can read about these two guys. How they ministered during the first three and a half years of the final seven, preaching the gospel, ministering, trying to bring people to the truth, to the Lord. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, that's a reference to the spirit that really is upon the Antichrist, Uh, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. I believe that the Antichrist, after his pseudo-resurrection and the devil entering into him, will then be able to go and kill the two witnesses, which will cause the world to say, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him, right? If you read chapter 11, you realize that the world has wanted to kill these two guys for three and a half years. But the Bible says anyone who tries to kill them in that manner, they must themselves be killed. And they have power to call fire down from heaven, to strike the earth with plagues, to turn water into blood, etc. These two guys are going to really, you know, great if I can put it that way, on the people of this world. The people of this world are going to want to get rid of these two guys, but they can't. They can't until they're finished with their testimony. The world doesn't know when they're finished. God does. At that point, the God, God allows the Antichrist, who has miraculously been resurrected. The devil is now inside of him. And he goes and kills these two guys. And now the world really marvels and really worships this guy and says, who is like the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And I believe after the Antichrist kills the two witnesses, from that point he goes right into the temple in Jerusalem and puts up his image in the Holy of Holies and demands to be worshiped as God. This will officially begin the last half of the seven-year period that we call the Great Tribulation. Look, verse 5 says, And he was given a mouth, there it is, the big mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, or the final three and a half years of the tribulation period. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Well, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, we read how that, you know, at one point the Antichrist is going to sit in the temple of God, claiming to be God, and demanding to be worshipped as God, right? I mean, that's the ultimate blasphemy, isn't it? I mean, there have been characters that have come down the pike that have been blasphemous, no doubt. But this guy has got what we call chutzpah, I mean, he's really... I mean, he goes right into the rebuilt temple, causes the sacrifices and oblations to God, the God of heaven to cease. He sets up his image in the Holy of Holies and says, guess what? Now I'm God. And everyone has to worship me. And he blasphemes God, the name of God, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. You see, Satan... By this point, he's been cast out of heaven, where he used to accuse the saints before God, but he's been thrown down to the earth now, and so now he speaks through the Antichrist the blaspheme God and the saints who dwell in heaven. And he gets the whole world to do the same thing. Turn again to Daniel 11. i I'll show you something. Verse 37. We already read it, but let me read it again. Again, Daniel is talking about this final world leader, the Antichrist, verse 37. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Now this statement here, that he shall regard neither the God of his fathers, many believe that he has to be Jewish. Because the God of his fathers seems to be the God of, you know, the Jewish people up until that point. Yahweh, right? God Almighty. The language seems to imply a Jewish context. That he shall regard neither the God of his fathers, Yahweh, the God God Almighty, nor the desire of women. Now, because of that statement, many believe he's going to be a homosexual. And in fact, I think 10 of the Caesars were homosexuals. But listen, it doesn't say, nor shall he have a desire for women. It says, nor he shall not regard the desire of women. That, folks, is a Jewish phrase. Because every Jewish girl dreamed of being the mother of the Messiah. That was the desire of all young women in Israel. So if you put those two together, let me paraphrase, he shall regard neither the God of his father, Yahweh, nor the desire of women, Messiah, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. And if you turn to 1 John 2, in verse 22, John said, 1 John 2, verse 22, Who is a liar but he who, des- who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the what? Son, sounds exactly like what Daniel was saying the Antichrist was going to do. He was not going to regard the God of his fathers, Yahweh, nor the desire of women, the Messiah, Jesus. He was going to deny them both and uh, not have a regard for any God, really, because he was going to exalt himself above every God. One pastor put it this way. He said, at this point, Antichrist is going to be on a roll. He's going to be on a roll. I mean, he's going to be on Larry King, live Oprah, World News Tonight, declaring he is truly the one and only god i mean can you imagine you can imagine this right he's captivated the whole world he's beautiful to look at he's brilliant he's oh he speaks like nobody has ever spoken except for the lord jesus christ i mean he's he's a genius he's just he's got these supernatural abilities and charisma and of course the world all those who dwell on the earth are going to follow after this guy like sheep to the slaughter I mean, I could just see him on every talk show from Leno, you know, Larry King Live, Oprah's going to do, you know, interviews with this guy. I mean, they're all going to line up because this guy, in their minds, is the answer to all of man's problems. And pray for the people I just mentioned. I hope they're not going to be here for this. Well, Revelation 13, verse 7. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Well, as I just said, when he goes into the temple, puts up his image in the Holy of Holies, and demands to be worshipped as God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 24, verse 21, Run, don't go back into your house to get anything, he said to the people living in Jerusalem, for at that time there shall arise great tribulation unlike anything that humanity has ever seen up until that time, nor will ever see again. And this guy is going to begin to persecute Jews, Israel uh, primarily, but all those who believe in Jesus Christ, whether they be Jew or Gentile. Uh, Because of what it says here, that he's going to make war with the saints and overcome them, many believe that that proves the church... Uh, has to be down here for this because we're the saints. So if it says the Antichrist is going to make war with the saints, that means the church, therefore the church has to be in the tribulation period because we're the saints. Well, the word for saint just means set apart ones, separated ones. And it was used of three different groups of people in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it was used of Israel because they were the saints of God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's used with regard to the church because we are the separated ones once we get saved. In fact, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means an assembly of called out ones. We have been called out of the world, even though we still live in the world. We've been called away from the world's philosophies and mindset and so on to be the people of God, to serve Him, not the world's philosophies and so on. So we are the saints of the New Testament. And then you have another group called saints during the tribulation period. They're called the tribulation saints. They're the ones that are in view here. And uh, I also point out that the Antichrist is going to make war with these saints and overcome them. We know it can't be the church because Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, against my church, the gates of hell will not prevail or overcome. So we know that we're not talking about Christians here. We are talking about tribulation saints, those that get saved during the great tribulation period, many of whom are going to be martyred for their faith. It says the Antichrist will successfully make war with them and overcome them, but that doesn't mean he's going to overcome their faith. He's going to overcome them physically, which means he's going to slaughter them in numbers that we can't even begin to imagine. I mean, it's going to be a time of great slaughter. You can... um, Compare this to uh, Revelation chapter 6, towards the end of the chapter, uh, after the sixth seal was broken, we see all these people, I'm sorry, the fifth seal, uh, we see all these martyrs, right, in heaven. And they say, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And the Lord says, just be patient until the number of all your brethren who are going to be martyred for their faith." Is fulfilled, and then at the end of chapter seven, we see this. John sees this great multitude in heaven, uh, a great number that nobody can even number of, of of the saints that have been martyred. And he first he doesn't first know who this group is, and so he asked one of the angels. And in chapter seven, verse fourteen, the angel said, "These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation, who have washed their robes in the blood of Christ, and are made pure." In other words, these are martyrs. This is the this is the result of the Antichrist now. Persecuting the people of this world, the saints, overcoming them. He overcomes them physically. He never can overcome them spiritually. He can't touch their faith because God is holding it steady. He will give these people grace to die for their faith. The Antichrist can kill their bodies. He can't do any more than that. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 He says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship Him. Who? Antichrist, right? In fact, at this time, there's only going to be two groups on the earth. Followers of Jesus Christ and the followers of the Antichrist, who are also known as the earth dwellers. Earth dwellers. There won't be any atheists or agnostics on the earth at this time. You realize that? Only believers. Believers in the true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ, or believers in the dragon and his son, quote-unquote, the Antichrist. That's it. The big question, I want you to think about this. The big question is, why do the earth dwellers accept and worship the dragon and his counterfeit Christ with his apparent resurrection, but they reject the true God and his son, Jesus Christ, who was really raised from the dead? Think about that for a minute. I mean, God, for centuries, has been offering, basically, people of this world the opportunity to believe in the true and living God and in his son who was raised from the dead, right? And they've rejected it. Now, the dragon shows up with his son, the antichrist, who presents a pseudo resurrection and they line up to believe in the dragon and the antichrist. Why is that? Aren't they you know, it sounds like the devil's offering pretty much the same belief system that God's been offering for centuries. Is it? Of course not. And you know what the big difference is? The big difference between the two is obedience to God's law, to God's word. That's the difference. What Satan is offering is religion without the cross. Lawlessness. It's interesting how the word lawlessness is used over and over of the Antichrist. See, this is his deal. This is his bag. This is what he's offering the world. He's a rebel, and he's offering the world religion without rules. You don't need God. I mean, you want to be a God, you can follow me. I'll show you I'm a God. I'll show you how to be a God. And maybe he even offers them some kind of a eternal life concept because it seems like he's got power over death. He can live forever, possibly in the minds of people. Therefore, maybe what he's selling to them includes some kind of eternal life. But basically, it's a gospel that says you can have religion. You can have eternal life. You can even be God, but you can make up your own rules. You don't have to follow the God of heaven. You don't have to follow him at all. I mean, he's lawless. Paul said in Second Thessalonians 2 verse 9, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Hey, look, when you watch TV and you see some of these characters claiming to be you know, evangelists, And how that, you know, they're always uh, showing people getting healed. I just heard an interesting story about one of these uh, televangelists, very well-known, went to Israel with 2,000 people. How many buses they must have had for that? I've been to Israel five times on different tours. You know, we've had a bus, maybe two. uh, 2,000 people, that's quite a few buses. 55 people to a bus, you figure it out. And everywhere this guy went, he was performing miracles. The Israeli government, you know, they're no fools. So they sent a little group of people around to each of the meetings. And they discovered the exact same people were getting healed at every meeting. It was fake. Total fraud. And yet, you watch them on television, they pack stadiums. 25,000, 30,000 strong, don't they? And it's all nothing but lies. Can you imagine if a guy shows up who has real power, real to work real miracles? You Can imagine how the people of this world are going to line up with the millions to follow this guy? But folks, this is going to be humanism run amok. I mean, it's going to be humanistic insanity. A religion that says if you worship the dragon and the Antichrist, man, you can achieve godhood, have eternal life without rules, without laws. I mean, what was Outback's uh, motto? I don't know if they still have it. No rules, you know. And I mean, that's what the world wants. No rules. The people of this world want to be religious and spiritual, but they don't want to follow any rules. They want to make up their own rules. They want to live according to the way they live. And so they, in the Antichrist, they find somebody who preaches a message they want to hear. I don't have to follow the God of heaven because I can be God myself. The very lie Satan fed even the Garden of Eden comes to fruition right here in these days where the Antichrist says, I am God. I've evolved the Godhood. I know how to do it. And listen to me. I'll teach you how to evolve the Godhood, how to be enlightened. And people of this world follow him like crazy as they defiantly blaspheme the God of heaven and rebel against him as we just read earlier, right? Right? The Antichrist blasphemes God, blasphemes the saints of God, blasphemes the tabernacle of God, which, by the way, the tabernacle of God was called the tent of what in the Old Testament? The tent of meeting. It's where God and man came together for the purpose of fellowship, and it all revolved around what? The blood of the animals. Blood sacrifice. The Antichrist is going to offer a bloodless way to become God. Again, it's religion without the cross. That's what man wants. Man is not anti-religious. He just doesn't want to be religious to the point of denying himself, taking up his cross and following Christ. He wants to, you know, to have it all, to be spiritual without the cross. Well, John goes on to say in verse 8, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain
0: from the foundation of the world. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day.